Great to see you in the room online. If you know me, it takes a lot to get me to cry. I've fallen off a lot of things, crashed a lot of things, bled a lot, broken bones. Didn't make me cry, but Jesus. <laughs> Which you also know about me. So I'll try to keep it together. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. This scene, the, the one that you saw at the end of that, that bumper video, how did we get here? How did we find ourselves in the story of Jesus confirmed by multiple gospel accounts the fact that Mary Magdalene was the first to witness the resurrected Jesus. How did we get here? Well, before we begin, I'd like to make some assumptions. And uh, my grandmother taught me how to spell assume. I hope that doesn't happen to you or me. But assumption number one, can you say number one? Number one, you're here because you are open to the possibility of Jesus Christ and the life that he offers. You're online right now. Maybe you just woke up. Maybe you've rolled out of bed. Maybe you haven't, and YouTube is the first app that you always open. I want to assume that whether you realize it or not, maybe there's some curiosity in you about Jesus and this life that he offers Assumption number two, you, like I, have experienced doubt, difficulty. You've also experienced disappointment and perhaps a distance from God and from others, either previously in your life or you currently are in a season where you're experiencing this. Doubt, disappointment, distance from God, or some sort of of difficulty. We all live in a broken world. So I can safely assume that you've experienced it or you are in a season right now of it. Lastly, assumption number three. Although our Bible has mystery and paradox, it is true. It is faithful. What it says about itself is it says that it's a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It can give us direction. 
It says that it is the belt of truth. It holds everything together. The Bible says about itself that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has a unique way of separating truth from lie. It has a unique way of pointing out exactly maybe what you need to hear before you knew that you needed to hear it. And what the Bible says about itself, uh, as defined in the book of John, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. His name is Jesus. The, The truth is that scripture reveals Jesus from front to back. It is always pointing to Jesus. That's assumption number three. This Bible in particular Uh, This one, I can remember seasons of doubt, disappointment, distance from God. Um, I can remember these seasons, one in particular, uh, when my eldest daughter, who's now 12 years old, middle middle school now, you can pray for me. She walked to a friend's house by herself yesterday. I was praying. Um, But when she was little, I used to put her in one of these backpacks, you know, one of these backpacks that you walk around in, you're like super dad. And uh, my wife, Hannah, she used to work at The Gap, and she'd be off, you know, doing retail stuff on a Saturday, and I would have Emerson, our only child at the time. She'd be one, maybe two years old, throw her in the backpack, and I'd bring my Bible, and we would walk around the city streets of Rochester, New York for hours, and we'd load it up with snacks and fishies and juice boxes, and those were for me. We had, like, her bottle in there, and, 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 and we would walk, and I remember one summer in particular... That, um, that transformed my life because for hours I would walk and I read through the Old Testament three times that summer. And it's, you know, it's written and it's, you know, I'd stop sometimes and I'd grab a pen or a highlighter. Out of, like this book has transformed my life. So my assumption number three is not just an assumption because we're supposed to assume it, but It's a safe assumption for me because this has transformed my life. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, um, it talks about it a little bit. It says this. It'll be on the screen. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. God spells out why is this book important. It's so that we would have that kind of life. So how did we get here with Mary? Well, as Pastor Pierre mentioned, we're going into this new series called Humans of Easter. And I think what happens sometimes is when we read this book or we hear about these characters, we make a caricature of them and we just kind of leave it to the side because the main character is Jesus. And I think oftentimes we forget and miss uh, the richness of the text because we remove the humanity from the names that are in it. So we're going to be talking about some humans of Easter. Because um, Jesus' posse, his group, his squad, his gang, they were filled with quite the eclectic group of people. And, and they had their quirks, and they had their personalities, and they had their biases, and all these different kinds of things, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but we're going to, uh, a couple, just to go over. Matthew, Matthew, one of the disciples, he was a tax collector, uh, detailed. Uh, we, we know that he was uh, focused on detail because in his gospel account, it's all about the genealogy of Jesus. He wanted to prove to the Jews that Jesus was who he said he was by going through the record keeping. 
like a good tax collector would do, right? Um, now, what's interesting about Matthew is he was, in some ways, uh, betrayed his own people because he would collect tax on behalf of the Roman occupation amongst Matthew's own people. So he wasn't a, most likely a really well-loved character. Then we've got Mark. Uh, Mark, Jesus and the disciples actually met in Mark's house. So Mark was kind of a bit of a tag-along. You read of the account of Acts, and, and Mark shows up a couple times as sometimes John Mark. And, and he's always accompanying some of the, like, the bigger disciples, the ones that are a, a, a little bit more articulate. And, and they were the preachers. And Mark was kind of always there in the shadows and in the background. And, and Mark actually wrote um, his book, by direction of Peter, and we'll get to that in just a second. Speaking of Peter, um, I can identify with Peter. He's brash. He's harsh. He's pretty impulsive. Um, I, I wrote this down. Uh, he was a bit of a college dropout that turned into a fisherman, and he was usually looking to prove himself in a fight. Like th this is the character of Peter. We're going to talk about him a little bit more. And then there's John. Uh, uh, interesting fact about John, John actually uh, remained single his whole life. So not to discourage any single people out there, but, but John remained single his whole life. He uh, kind of had a bit of a high view of himself in Scripture, and we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, maybe that's why he could never get a date, because he was a little bit about himself and making himself look pretty good. He was, he was a bit competitive. Then we have Doubting Thomas. What a terrible nickname to have for thousands of years. Doubting Thomas. Everybody in society knows Doubting Thomas. They may not know the story, but they know the term. It's, it's landed in our culture. What a, that's just sad for him. Then we've got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They used to hang around Jesus all the time, and Jesus used to hang out in their home because they were siblings. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. That was the one where the story where, where Mary was doing the better thing just by sitting around and like hanging out with Jesus and listening to his stories while Martha was cleaning the house and she was getting everything ready. She gets a bad rap. I identify with Martha. Mary's lazy. Uh, Lazarus dies and, and, and the sisters are like, if you were only here sooner. So they have this fight with Jesus. There's this friendship that's there. We miss the humanity, I think, sometimes. Uh, Philip. I love Philip. Uh, Philip's one of the disciples, and when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, Philip was the one at the end of the day that went up to Jesus and was like, ah, can you send them away? I'm hungry. It's time to eat. And there's this boy over here. He's got some food. I've been eyeing it. It looks good. I want to eat it. Send them all. Philip was that guy. He was always thinking about his next meal. Um, Hannah has a problem with that with me. I, 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 food scarcity is just a tough thing for me. And then lastly, uh, for today, Judas. Judas was the treasurer of the disciples, and uh, he ended up being a traitor, which is interesting because you would think the guy that was going to steward and collect and protect all the money would most likely be the most trustworthy. Uh, but he, he turned a little bit, ended up betraying Jesus. So we, we reread the humanity right out of the scriptures sometimes, or we, we skim right past it, and I think we lose finding ourselves in the story. So who was Mary Magdalene? Well, Mary was a boss. Um, she was a girl boss, and, and I'll get to it in a second, because it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, 
Soon afterward, Jesus went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Achusa, Herod's household manager. Susanna, many others who provided for them out of their means. There's a lot in that. The biggest thing that jumps out to me, and, and maybe you've heard this before, is this Jewish rabbi was not all about the men. He was not all about the, following the traditional ways that a rabbi would do by collecting as many um, affluent, scholarly, and successful men around him as possible to perpetuate his way and his interpretation of the scriptures. This rabbi, this rabbi was not only about raising up men, but raising up women. This was controversial. This went against the tradition. In many ways, it went against the law. That's the first thing that we see there. And Mary, Mary seemed to be the leader of the women posse. She's named first. She's often there when significant events happened in Jesus's life. So Mary was a bit of a boss. Um, She also had seven demons, which is a little strange there. Um, we've got Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Herod's, uh, her, her husband was Herod's personal accountant. Now, Herod, I don't know if you remember Herod, but the Herod at this time was the one who beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Herod's father was the one, when he heard the Savior had been born in the little stable, shortly afterward, ordered for all infant boys to be killed. That's that, Herod. His son has an accountant. His name's Chusa, and his wife is following around Jesus and helping him pay for his ministry. The irony is just incredible. Then you've got Susanna and many others Now, Mary was called Magdalene. Magdalene. Now, uh, you've heard this maybe before. Um, People in the first century and in ancient uh, Middle East were called not by their last name, but they were called first name and where they were from, or first name and who was their father's name. So uh, we hear in the scriptures, uh, Jesus, son of Joseph, or Jesus of Nazareth. Or what good could come out of Nazareth when they were talking about uh, Jesus? Now, Mary's last name was not Magdalene. She was from Magdala. And she represented where she was from so much so that they called her the Magdalene. That was her nickname. That's like um, uh, meeting some guy from Texas and his nickname is Tex. It's like he embodies what the stereotypical white boy, cowboy hat, boots, probably carrying a firearm on his hip, like chewing tobacco. That's Tex. Mary was from Magdala. She was called the Magdalene. So what was Magdala all about? Well, I got a photo to show you. We were able to, uh, about a year ago, go to Israel and... um, we got to see 
an ancient synagogue in um, the area of Magdala. Maybe they'll put it up in, in, in just a little bit. Um, what was incredible about Magdala is it was a major trading route. It was a hub of culture, affluence, riches, trade. Uh, it was known for its salted fish to preserve. It was also known for its garments and its expensive dyes. And you could only get certain colors of garments anywhere in the Middle East, only from Magdala. You wanted some purple shirt? You got to travel to Magdala. You want that, that, that chartreuse color that all your girlfriends have and you just can't find it at Target? You got to go to Magdala. This was the center point of a lot of different culture. And we know this because the ruins of the synagogue have really, really expensive, ornate um, architecture and decorations embedded into the floors and the mosaics and the art, uh, which tells us that there was an extreme amount of affluence. So now you've got this woman who's called the Magdala, and she's supporting Jesus' ministry financially. Mary had a Mary had, Mary had an attitude. Magdala, you got to think about uh, Magdala kind of like uh, Agrabah from Aladdin. You remember that scene? That Mary was no street rat. Like she was the one uh, that everybody was going to to get the trendy thing. And she had built up wealth in her life. A lot of commentaries and scholars say that she was one of the major players in that posh garment district, almost like a little Meryl Streep from Devil Wears Prada, just kind of owning the joint. But she had demons. We know this because uh, in Luke chapter 8, we know where she came from, but she also had seven demons. But being full of demons can actually look a lot like being full of yourself. Think about the way that Mary the Magdalene probably grew up and how she was successful. And the results of a comfortable life are often being full of ourselves so much so that it can manifest in a way that seems as though we are possessed by ourselves for ourselves. The number seven is significant because it means fullness in Scripture. This woman was full to the brim with demons, with sin, with hidden things, with pride, lust, greed, wrath, envy. In the sixth century, the Pope at the time, he named the seven deadly sins that are supported by Scripture, not listed, and they all come out of a comfortable life. Could it be that Mary was so full of herself that it was seen and maybe experienced as demonic activity? But then she met Jesus. But then she met Jesus. See, there's something about our behavior. Uh, you are a culmination of behavior. So am I. Maybe habits, hobbies. Um, and, and your behavior ongoing builds a lifestyle. 
Your lifestyle indicates your behavior, what you spend your money on, what you spend your time doing, who you spend your time around. Your behavior in the culmination creates a lifestyle. That lifestyle lived long enough, it reinforces an identity. But I think sometimes what we forget is that above, in that hierarchy, above, more important, and before you were born was a design. That you and I are designed by God to be his child, to be in relationship with him and others in creation in the way that he originally intended, by design. Out of that flows our identity in Christ, which dictates our lifestyle, which influences our behavior. When Mary met Jesus... She would have told you her identity is in what she wore, how she carried herself, her image to others. That was her identity. Her lifestyle had to support it, chase it, keep up with it. And her behavior every single day was wondering, can I keep up? What do I need to do to keep up? What do I need to attain? Who do I need to surround myself with so that my identity remains true? But when you meet Jesus, he flips it. And he shows you and reveals to you that he has a design that is higher than all those things. And scripture says that Mary was freed from those demons. So now we've got a little bit better picture of some of the people that Jesus walked with, and in particular, Mary the Magdalene. So now let's go back to this scene. We're going to rewind just a little bit. In Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 7, it says this. Now this is Mark's account as told by Peter to Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen and they went to the tomb, they were saying to one another, who's going to roll away the stone from us from the entrance of the tomb? Okay, so who shows up the day after Jesus is buried? Is it the disciples? Is it the manly men? Is it the ones that are saying, we're going we're gonna to anoint the body. We are going to give him the respect that he deserves. He's our savior. We saw him do crazy things. He, he said he was the son of God. We believed him. We're going to bring the spices. We're going to anoint him. We're going to give him the proper burial. Is it the men? No. It's the women. Women getting stuff done. Women, women cleaning up the mess. Uh, Women picking up all the toys on the floor. It's women that that are doing the things that nobody seems to want to do. I know I leave messes behind. I'm like, Hannah, I'll get it. It's the women. It's Mary Magdalene. It's Mary, Jesus' mother. It's Salome. They're bringing spices. Now, Jewish tradition would say that you need to anoint the body of a dead rabbi, a dead Jewish man, with half their weight in spices to prevent decay, to keep the smell okay. It was respect. It was dignity. So let's say Jesus was 170 pounds. He's a carpenter guy, you know, probably all right, you know. So 170 pounds, half of that, you add that. Like, what are they going to do? How, how are they going to roll? Like, but the women don't care. 
And they're like, well, how, how are we going to get the stone away? It doesn't matter. We're going to figure it out. These women are incredible. The story goes on. It says, in looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Convenient. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place they had laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter's real careful to make sure that, you know, he's named in his own account. Uh, and then he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is Peter's account. Now, Peter's a bit ADD. Uh, scholars call this the and-then account of Jesus, and that it was this, and then we went there, and then he said this, and then he did this, and then we were here, and then we went there. And, like, Peter is just so hyper all the time. His writing comes through. Mark's trying to, like, get through it. He's trying to, like, Peter's just rapid fire. Now, John, on the other hand, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Different point of view, same resurrection, empty tomb, and then we're going to bring this thing home. Now, John, John's a little bit different style. John's pretty clever. John's a bit of a romantic. I think John wrote poetry in his spare time. Uh, you know, John's the one that goes on the writing retreat. He's like brilliant brings all the candles, and he's all set up, and he's ready, and the birds are chirping, and he wakes up in the morning, and he, he pens these extraordinary things. Um, John reminds me of Pastor Chris a bit. Um, I remind myself of Peter, and uh, Pastor Chris and I, we have a bit of a rivalry. We love each other. We're really, really good friends, um, but, you know, like... I, Peter's usually working on his bench press numbers, and, and John is, like, writing his next existential crisis that's going to be read in 300 years by really smart people. Like, that's me and Pastor Chris. That, that's Peter and John. Now, John says in chapter 20, now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. There it is again, Mary showing up early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, John refers to himself as the other disciple. But he's trying to be modest, but hold on, because he's not. So uh, she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple. This is why. The one whom Jesus loved. There's Peter, but then there's the one he loved. John, right? Uh, and he said to them, you've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, Peter and John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. These dudes are having a race to the tomb. Peter and John, the rivalry is alive, and John is very quick to say he was faster. John gets to the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but did he, he did not go in. So John, kind of respectful, taken in the moment, thinking about how he's going to write about it later, describing it perfectly. Then Simon Peter came following, went right in. I mean, Peter's just whoo, right past John, right into the tomb. 
He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. You hear the detail that John has. He's painting the picture. Then the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, John, who'd reached the tomb first. Okay, John, like really? You, you got to say, you got to make sure. I know Peter went right in, but you got to make sure we understand that you were the fastest and you got it there. Thanks, man. Uh, who reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the men left. Pay attention now. The men left. But Mary, verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. It's interesting to me that Mary calls him Lord. You remember assumption number two. I assume that you and I, we've experienced doubt, difficulty, distance. Maybe you're experiencing it now. You remember assumption number one. That I want to assume that you're curious about Jesus and the life that he has promised. Curious about faith, this Christianity thing. Maybe curious about just God in general. Maybe you're online right now, and maybe it's 2025. I don't know. But God has brought you here under that assumption that you're curious. And at one point or another, you and I have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Will he be a historical character that seemed to have good things about morals? championed women. And although that's true, it falls short. Is he a figment of human imagination and a religion was spun off of it? We have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. And Mary decided that even though he was dead, gone, and no body was to be found, he was still her Lord. Having said this to the angel, she turned around, saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Another gospel account said she thought he was the gardener, the landscaper, the guy who took care of the graves and the tombs and the trees and made it pretty. And She thought he was the gardener. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you'd carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Mary's like, where'd you put him? Where is he? Where's my Lord? 
I'm not giving up. What he's done for me, I just want to be close to him. I, it might not be a lot. Where is he? I'll pick up that dead body. I'll put the spices on. Like Mary, getting it done. Love Mary. No nonsense, crossfitter. She's ready. Throw that body over her shoulder. Bring him back to the tomb. Get it done. It's her Lord. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. The scripture goes on and it says, immediately, Mary knew it was Jesus. Immediately, Mary knew it was Jesus. No one says your name like Jesus does. No one calls to you like Jesus does. His voice can shake your life and calm your storm all at the same time. See, Mary was there from the beginning. Mary was there in Galilee when he taught and he healed. Mary was on the road to Jerusalem when he walked in triumphantly. Mary was there when they waved the palms and shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday. Mary was there when they tortured and crucified him. Mary was there to see where they laid him in the tomb. Mary was there to give him a proper burial with spices, even though they didn't know how to roll the stone. Mary was there to see the empty tomb. Mary was there to see the angels and that he had risen. Mary was there asking the gardener where her Lord was. Mary was there when he said her name. So in closing, I want to go back to the beginning. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, God's crown jewel of creation, created in his image and likeness, are wandering the garden. And they begin listening to a different voice. It's the voice of their enemy trying to distract them and bring distance. It's the voice of the enemy that twisted God's very own words. That enemy created enough distance between Adam and Eve and God that they fell for temptation. They felt ashamed. They hid themselves from God. And what was the first thing that God called out to them shortly thereafter? Where are you? Where are you? God could feel the distance that they had created. And I think Mary reminds us with her staying power that she was there. Mary refused to let distance grow between her, she and her Savior. And I imagine 
that if Mary felt a little bit of distance in the relationship, she was very quick to close the gap. She was there. And she knew the voice of her shepherd. So we're going to do that, that song again. and We can just start in on the chorus. Because God wants to call to you today. I want to invite you to close your eyes in the room, online, right where you are. Just close your eyes. I believe God wants to speak to you. I believe he wants to remind you of who you are. Just listen to this song as he calls your name, your name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, there's distance in your life between you and God. Maybe you've lived on assumption number one, that you've just been curious your whole life, but you've never been able to call him Lord. You've never known him as a savior. That has freed you from sometimes might feel as extreme as a demon. God is calling your name. He's calling your name. For God does not only love all of humanity, he loves you. Jesus not only died for all of humanity for all time, but he died for you. And he calls your name. He knows your name. 
with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if that's you and you want to come into relationship with Jesus. In the room here, I just want you to put up a hand online. There's a way to respond. Say, Jesus, I've been curious, but I need to take this to the next step. There's distance between me and God. I, I'm full of myself or I'm full of terror. I'm full of depression or anxiety. I'm full of worry and addiction. You wanted to come in a relationship with Jesus, just lift your hand in this room and respond online right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're in the room online and you have a relationship with Jesus, but he has not been Lord of your life, there's distance between you and him. You hear him calling your name. Would you have the boldness and the faith to lift your hand right now and just say, God, I'm coming back. God, I'm coming back. I've been distant. I've let things distract me and get in the way, the busyness and the worry of life, the stress. God, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. In the room and online, just lift your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for responding. Thank you for responding. God's calling your name. He's closing the distance. God, I thank you right now that every single person that responded God, we believe in your grace and your mercy, not only to remove sin, but to fill us with your gladness, to fill us with your peace, to fill us with your joy, to fill us with your Holy Spirit that is a comforter and a helper. Thank you, God, in the spirit, the distance is closing. Thank you that we get to call you, not only Savior, but our Lord. God, so we honor you. We honor you and believe and agree with Scripture that all of heaven rejoices rejoices, rejoices when we come home to you. God, we thank you for this time together and these prayers that have been prayed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. message, an incredible message as God is calling all of us by name. Hey, if you responded to that message here in the room and online, uh, we have people uh, that would love to pray with you, our care team, our prayer team here in the room at the side. Um, and online, uh, you can request chat, uh, prayer, and throw it into the chat. We'd love to spend some time talking to you about the incredible message and how we are all responding to it. Hey, we're continuing in our series, Humans of Easter, uh, next weekend, continuing to look at more of the incredible characters that surround the main character of Jesus as we get ready for Easter. Um, it's an incredible season as we get ready for Easter. We're super excited. Reminder um, that we have soft launched Greece next week with some volunteer teams to troubleshoot. But the week after, Greece campus is open. And we're super excited to be open at both of our campuses as we are many rooms, one house. It's been incredible joining service, you online and here in the room. Uh, we're gonna get ready for behind the message. If you wanna stick around and listen, go for it. You are free to go. Those online, feel free to stick around as well as we get ready for behind the message. We love you, church. We'll see you next weekend.
behind the message. Woo-hoo. I'm here with my friends Luke and Carrie. Luke, phenomenal job. Thanks, John. That was a great message. It was Thanks. a great message. Yeah, very, very good. Very strong. Great story. You're a good storyteller. Thanks. Yeah. So what Thanks, was your Josh. biggest takeaway? I I really appreciated how you kind of brought the disciples to life and your challenge at the end. At least it was a challenge for me. I can't you. I mean, what was the quote? You said Jesus can shake your life and calm the storm at the same time. And at the end of the day, Mary had to decide, was Jesus really her Lord? Mm-hmm. That was such a potent moment. And yeah. yeah. It's pretty profound that in uh, in that moment in history, he was everything but Lord. Yeah. He was dead. Yeah. They saw him die. Yeah. Yep. He was buried in a tomb, and now the body's gone. Yep. Like, she calls him Lord. It's amazing. It's very cool. It's it's very interesting. Right before service, I was just reading an article about how so many people are walking away from their faith right now. And it was interesting for me personally reading that article and then hearing your message because I think at the end of the day, we have to decide, like, is Jesus our Lord? Yep. And it doesn't always make sense. Like, even everything you just said, like, the body wasn't there. He had died. But is he still our Lord? And that confronts our feelings and our logic and yeah it was great Hmm. what was your favorite part josh i like uh the whole the way you told the story of mary magdalene i thought was really cool the stuff you talked about with mag magdala the magdala area was really awesome and the comfortable life stuff you said a phrase about living a comfortable life and what it does what it can do to you make you live uh, for yourself, from yourself. Yeah. Uh, that was a really, really great moment for mm. me. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing to walk around ancient first century Magdala. And um, they, they have this stone there in the synagogue. And the stone is one of the earliest depictions of the Jewish menorah yeah. in sculpture. And uh, I forgot exactly the name of it, but it's it's a stone that would be in the center of the synagogue, and they would place the scrolls of the Torah, the Old Testament, on it, and then read from it. And way back then, not every synagogue or temple could afford their own copy of a hand-copied uh, version of the Torah. Yep. So sometimes rabbis would travel around with the Torah and they'd do this speaking engagement. But most would believe that in Magdala, because it was such an affluent place and the synagogue was so opulent, yeah. um, that they would probably have their own version. So to see that stone and know that on top of that stone was one of the original manuscripts yeah, of the Old great. Testament wow. was yeah. incredible. Uh, Lawrence Rollins is in the chat, uh, oh, giving just some great stuff. Wow, Josh is so funny. So <laughs> I appreciate did that. Did he write that or he did you did. just say it? No, he really wrote it. Okay. Maybe he got hacked, but no, I think he really believes that I am funny, <laughs> which is so helpful for me. So I like to be encouraged like that. So. You are funny. Wow. Yeah, I am. Uh, but anyway, I also want to talk about the fact that we got people watching from all over the place, literally. Florida, Michigan, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, South Carolina, Massachusetts, Alaska, Ohio, Malaysia. First of all, Alaska. The reach is wide, like you uh, always say. Puerto Alaska. Rico. We got a couple people in Puerto Rico That's watching cool. us this morning. So we want to welcome you from all over the world. Malaysia's in the house today. Uh, 
So it's pretty cool. Right now, when you preach, Luke, you're preaching to the world. That's there's amazing. A, to the world. There's about a dozen people watching from New York City right now. Okay. So we want to welcome you from the great Manhattan Island. It's great <laughs> to see you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty sweet. Go to the, what's the garment district in uh, New York City? What's the favorite street? Is it 9th Avenue? 7th no, 5th Avenue. Thank Fifth you. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know if they would consider it the garment district, but 5th Avenue is the... Well, like, but it would be yeah. like the Magdala. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yep. my point, Josh, yeah. trying to get back to the message. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And listen, <laughs> as we said also in service, by the way, is Greece is opening. Yes. Next week, teams are going. Now, listen, you might be watching online and you are like, I'm waiting for Greece to open. I will not set foot in the Chile campus. First wow. of all, offensive. Secondly, uh, <laughs> we want you to help us reopen the campus. Mm -hmm. If you do come to Chai Lai and you want to start serving, you've never served before, uh, but you want to start, if you watch online, you've never served before and you want to serve, here is what you got to do. Get on team with text, us. That's super fun. You text TFHNY, making it easy, TFH, no more the father's house because we messed that up. Number's still the same, though, Carrie. Did text, I say the wrong thing this morning? Always. I don't so know if you did today. So the one at the bottom of the screen is wrong? I don't know. Text TFHNY <laughs> to 94,000. I just want the world to know that that wasn't my fault. Text TFHNY to 94,000. We will hook you up. You need to hook Carrie up with that information yeah, before she be, goes man. on stage for first service and says the wrong thing. I did it during service. So I'm making it extra confusing. So Carrie, uh, you need to constantly be checking your phone now we are gonna. Worship. I at have this, no at this point, from you. At this point in Behind the Message, we are going to talk <laughs> about know? crucial conversations <laughs> and conflict resolution. You don't like when Carrie and I gang up on you? No, it's fine. I can take it. You I'll be in the it. middle. I can handle it. You can laugh it off. You're I can, funny. Yeah, I am funny, first of all, according to Lawrence. But listen, oh great Sunday. It was oh, a great Josh, Sunday. by the way, yeah. um, feedback from last week. We talked about how uh, I was going to grill your burger. Oh, yeah. The Jansen burger. It was so good. I did it again last night. Wow. Made burgers. What's the Jansen burger? Don't overpress them and compress Don't. the meat. No. Okay. Salt, pepper, paprika, super high temperature, four minutes each side. Done. Perfect burger. Wow. The now other I thing know. that I've been doing, which I am perfecting, French uh, omelet. besides the French omelet, is the uh, uh, chicken wings on the grill. Oh, do my goodness. Do you bake them first and then finish no. on the grill? No. Grill How the whole time. How do you not dry them out? You are amazing. I'm good at this. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to our cooking show where we talk about all the things we grill. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us today for church. The weather is getting warmer, which is such a great thing, okay, here in Rochester. We take it. If it's over 40, we're pumped. Shorts, T-shirts, grill. Yeah, more Let's strangles go. are out. I People saw listen. so many sunroofs open yesterday. I was yeah, like, you did. sir, it's yeah, 30. Yeah, you did. But listen, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It'll Bring keep you bell. up to date on all the things that we are doing here at the church. Follow us on Instagram. You can like us on Facebook if you're into that sort of thing. We're there, too. Uh, we're not on MySpace yet, but we're working on it. But church, it's been yep. a great Sunday, and we will see you next week right here online. See ya. And in I person. Find a mask. Yeah. <laughs>